You are listening to Grab Them by the Pod, a member of the Ace Podcast Network. Thank you for joining us once again here at Grab Them by the Pod. I am Kevin along with Jesse, and so much has happened since we last came on the airwaves. So, Jesse, what do you have for us tonight? Well, the number one thing I want to do is give a shout-out to one of our loyal listeners, Jimmy, out there. He uh, contacted us and just tells us how much he loves our show, and I know he's listening to this right now. So I want to say thanks for listening, and I hope you keep on listening. Give us uh, all, the, all the wonderful words of, wis- of wisdom and happiness you can give us. <laughs> yes, thank you, Jimmy. <laughs> Whatever I'm trying to say. But anyways, when it comes to the real news, uh, last week news broke that Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy was going to retire. I will not lie. It was a rough day for me. I got a little angry and upset at that news. Uh, but okay. RBG, you better live forever, girls. <laughs> yes, I, we, we were saying it has to be like a weekend at Bernie situation if anything goes wrong. Just keep her going, stuff her, whatever you have to do. Um, the reason this was me so much is because uh, this is going to let Donald Trump nominate a second Supreme Court. Justice, uh, and this could create the most conservative court in generations. Uh, his retirement is going to be effective on July 31st. Uh, Kennedy's 81. He was appointed by Ronald Reagan, so he's been around for a while. But it just seems weird to me that one of these guys would retire while we're you know, possibly in the middle of a constitutional crisis. But you know, that's their choice, I guess. Well, I have some you know unsubstantiated reports that I've seen, and I can't for the life of me remember where I saw it. But uh, I've read a report that perhaps. Uh, Kennedy has a son who might be involved somehow with the the Russia meddling case, really? and so it, it it might be breaking at some point in the next few months that there's Those are involved there. Reports, and, though, right? These <laughs> are uh, exactly these are unconfirmed reports. I am speculating to the nth degree here, yeah. but uh, wouldn't that be something if it was? But either crazy. way. The guy's 81. Most people don't work till they're 81, and he's been on there for 30 over 30 years. It is time for him to retire, but you know it does seem a little odd that this is the timing of the event. Although the way things are going, I think I might be working till I'm 81. <laughs> things get better, we'll see. Uh, why is this important? Uh, Kennedy, while conservative, has been the court's uh, swing vote for basically the last decade or so. So no matter what happens with Trump, he'll have left his mark on this court, uh, giving it a solid five-justice conservative majority seeing that he uh, did not seat Merrick Garland in the beginning of his presidency and instead put Neil Gorsuch on there, uh, obviously a more conservative judge. Uh, this is bad news for a lot of the bad news for racial discrimination, bad news for gay rights. Uh, these are all areas where Kennedy was a little more liberal in his leading. And the talk is now – it's funny how, oh, you know, this person's gone. Now we have to have a new swing vote. But the talk is that Chief Justice John Roberts may become the new swing vote on the court. Yes, Kennedy has, as you said, been known as the swing vote over the last 25, 30 years. You know, he was most recently the swing vote that swung the Janice versus Ask Me decision uh, just last week. He was also the swing vote in Oberfell versus Hodges, which had to do with gay marriage, the Citizens United decision, D.C. versus Heller, which allowed handgun ownership in the District of Columbia, as well as the Planned Parenthood versus uh, Planned Parenthood of South Southeastern Pennsylvania versus Casey, which upheld Roe versus Wade back in 1992. So the guy has been that key critical linchpin vote on a lot of our major decisions in the last 30 years. And so it's going to have an impact on our court going forward. 
So who's going to replace it? Well, there's a lot of people. I mean, Trump had put out a list of 25 people that could possibly be appointed to the Supreme Court. So it could be really any of them. Um, some of the people that he's considering are Washington-based federal appeals court judge uh, Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, he was a former Kennedy clerk, and I think he's kind of close with Kennedy. Um, there were the three other judges that Trump looked, looked at when he was uh, appointing Neil Gorsuch. That's William Pryor, uh, Thomas Hardiman, Amul Thapar, if I'm saying that name correctly. If not, please forgive me. Um, but the problem is that uh, these 25 prospective judges were – that list was put together with input from the Federalist Society, with the Heritage Foundation, and that's not really assuring, especially when a lot of these folks are going around saying, well, Roe versus Wade is dead, uh, and they already haven't put someone on the on the bench. It's It's kind of a scary time, to be honest. Mm, you know, I thought justice was apolitical. I guess not. So a, a Trump – court packing a, a court by president trump you know the gift that keeps on giving it's kind of like an std and you'd think you know you wouldn't put anybody on the supreme court or at least nominate them right now because this is an election year and as mitch mcconnell famously said back in 2016 uh, they weren't going to confirm neil uh, merrick garland because it wouldn't have been fair to the american people and we should let them uh, speak before they do anything. Uh, that's not going to happen this time. They're going to, I mean, not, I don't really feel strongly that the Democrats will take back the Senate anyways, uh, but they're going to push this through before the November elections and get them on there so that no matter what happens in November, they have a person on the bench. Right. Apparently, you know, it's only good when the shoe is on the other foot to demand that they wait until after the elections. So, you know, we'll see. Will some of those Republican senators who have been against Donald Trump, like Jeff Flake and Bob Corker, you know, will they put their money where their mouth is and vote against their party because they dislike the president? Well, Susan Collins said that she wouldn't uh, endorse anybody who was against Roe versus Wade. The problem I'm seeing going forward is the Democrats don't have to just worry about the Republicans. They have to worry about the Democrats. Um, people in Democrats up in red states, uh, we see this in West Virginia, we see this in North Dakota, uh, they're maybe worried about getting reelected uh, if they're more conservative uh, voters to, you know, get upset with them and they may cross the aisle just to ensure their own reelection, which, you know, I mean, it's, it's between a rock and a hard place. But uh, with the current makeup of the Senate, it's 5149 uh, Republicans. I know with, with what's going on with John McCain, uh, there's a good chance he wouldn't vote, but it's still 5049. So if you could keep all of the Democrats uh, together voting in a block and then pull someone over like a Collins, like a Murkowski, um, you might be able to push through a more moderate judge. But I, the way things go in this Congress and in this government these days, I just don't feel very confident about that actually happening. Yeah, it's not sitting well with me either. So we will have to wait and see over the next weeks and months how this is going to go down. And Walt Kennedy, you know, he has been relatively conservative. You mentioned Citizens United, things like that. He should be remembered uh, for what happened with uh, being a champion of gay rights and same-sex marriage. He uh, wrote the ruling and said, no longer will may this liberty be denied. No union is more profound than marriage, for it embodies the highest ideals of love, fidelity, devotion, sacrifice, and family. So if nothing else... Uh, that's something he's done that's left a lasting uh, positive legacy on the United States. So we'll see. I think it's next Monday, actually, that he's going to announce uh, who he's going to nominate. So uh, hold on to your butts. It's going to be a wild ride, I think. Mm. 
So what else is going on? Well, there's John Bolton and Putin, uh, National Security Advisor John Bolton met with Russia uh, President Vladimir Putin last Wednesday. You know, this comes comes in advance of the planned meeting between Putin and Trump coming uh, this July. Uh, you know, n- no one's surprised, but Putin put out a nice warm greeting for Bolton. Um, Putin spoke about how disappointed he was with the current state of U.S.-Russia relations. I wonder why that's uh, the way it is right now. Uh, he specifically said that he's become upset with what's become of the political environment in the U.S., uh, Putin said, your visit here to Moscow inspires hope that we will be able to take first steps to restore full-fledged relations between Russia and the United States. Russia never sought confrontation. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and I hope that today we will be able to talk about what we can do from both sides in order to restore full-fledged relations on the foundation of equality and the respect for each other's interests. Well, that's nonsense, isn't it? <laughs> oh, look, how cute. We're <laughs> capitulating to Putin again. You know, what... <laughs> Trump and Putin going to be going to dinner in a movie here. This all just seems too, uh, you know, uh, I'm not okay with this. No, see, it's it's not dinner in a movie, Kevin. It's kind of a wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, and then Putin won't, re- won't return Trump's calls afterwards. You know, he gets what mm-hmm. he wants, and then he's out. Uh, well, the president's used to those scenarios. So. Yeah, he's usually on the other side of things, but yeah, I think he's he is familiar. I mean, listen, all of her intelligence agencies and anybody who's a non-Trump sycophant uh, has said that if you look at the evidence, Russia did uh, seek a confrontation, unlike what Putin says. Uh, they confronted – the problem was that conf- uh, confrontation wasn't between Russia and the United States. They orchestrated it so that it was between Americans, between us. They messed with our elections, and they won, and that's why Trump is in the White House right now. They're going to do it again in 2020 if we don't do something to stop them. And as of now, the administration isn't doing anything to stop that. And it's that's scary. Yeah. You know, this is why it's critically important to teach the youth of America how to verify sources and to tell real from fake news. Yeah, I'm telling you, the more I see, the more I just lose any hope that people are going to be able to do that. Uh, Bolton said that he hopes they could find areas where they can agree and make progress together. He said, uh, Even in the earlier days when our countries had differences, our leaders and their advisors met. I think it was good for both countries, good for stability in the world. Uh, and President Trump feels very strongly about that subject. The problem is, yeah, they may have met during the Cold War, but Trump isn't Kennedy. Trump isn't Reagan. Trump isn't even Nixon. Uh, I don't have any confidence that Trump could meet with Putin and not be manipulated. I mean, we've all seen the jokes and the memes about being the puppet master and, and mini-me and things like that. Uh, you know, Reagan, he, sure, he had his faults, but he knew how to deal with Russia. People keep saying, even his daughter said, I think, that, that Reagan would be turning in his grave if he could see what was happening right now with Russia. So a meeting, we were worried about what would happen with Kim Jong-un and Trump being alone together. It worries me just as much, if not even more, uh, with Trump being alone in the room with Putin and what may come of that meeting. Yeah, you know, the idea that this is good for stability in the world, it would be true if it weren't clear that we were being played by the other side. And will this be another Singapore all over again where Trump comes home telling us, oh, we can go to bed easy, rest easy now, everything's solved, only to find out a few weeks later by our intelligence uh, officials that perhaps he's not actually going to get rid of his nuclear weapons after all? You know, surprise, surprise. So (laughs) it remains to be seen what's going to go down between Putin and Trump. I don't have an awful lot of confidence that it's going to go well in our favor. You know, it goes to show what this relationship is like. I mean, you'd think when this was all going down, maybe the United States and the White House would be able to go and tell everybody what was happening. This all happened, and Russia was the first person to actually put out the information that this meeting did indeed happen. Uh, you know, it, it's a real crack communications team at 600 Pennsylvania where they get scooped by Russia uh, to news to Americans. 
Yeah, and more evidence that Russia's at the controls of this relationship. You know, I find this meeting to be odd for a couple reasons. First, you know, Trump is currently being investigated for a number of things. One of them is collusion with Russia. Trump will say it's fake news, and I know Russia is a major player on the world stage. But it just looks bad that people are saying that you worked with Russia, whether that's true or not. That's the investigation going on right now. Maybe you want to hold off on meeting with them. Uh, and next, you know, Russia, try, as I mentioned earlier, tried and succeeded to mess with our elections. They didn't hack into our voting machines, maybe, uh, but they did hack into something, and that something was the American psyche. Uh, you know, They're the originators of fake news, and without their troll farms, I, there's a better than not chance that Hillary Clinton would be president right now. So all this is going down, and all this happened, and Trump kind of just brushes it off, says, you know, Putin says he didn't do it, and you know, I'll go meet with him again. It just... It, it's it seems to be a sad state of affairs where the president of the United States just you know brushes this off his shoulder like it was no big deal and just goes and meets with a country who I, I feel confident they're the enemy they, they're they're screwing with us right now and we're letting them. Yeah, the Russians may not have hacked into our election machines. What they did was exploit Americans' complacency, right? And they they got into our minds and they affected the way people voted. So they didn't have to hack into the machines. They got into the minds of America. You know, so I was looking at something online today, and they're going on. Oh, is this new information about Bill Clinton meeting with Loretta Lynch on the term? And I'm like, you know what? At this point. I'd just put Hillary in jail if it'll shut them up from, from all this Clinton conspiracy. I'm so tired of these people who just hark on these things that mean nothing from two and a half years ago, yet just turn a blind eye to things uh, going on with Russia. Uh, and again, this is just another example of Trump embracing authoritarian leaders while shunning and sometimes just out, outwardly mocking leaders that should be our, our allies, whether it's Putin, Kim Jong-un, our Filipino president, Rodrigo Duterte. I can never say his name. Is it Duterte? Duterte. That's why you're the history teacher, Kevin. You can always say these things correctly. Uh, Trump seems drawn to a certain kind of leader. But at the same time, he's criticizing Trudeau and Merkel and Macron and, and all these people that should be our friends. And, and he criticizes them for the littlest things. It just shows uh, what kind of power Trump uh, respects. And it's not the right. kind of power the president should. It's because he fancies himself one of them, one of those dictators, those uh, authoritarian rulers. He wants to have the powers that they do. He's in the wrong country. Remember when she from China said, you know, basically he's going to become president for life, and he's like, oh, maybe we'll do that here. And he said he's joking, and you know, he probably was, but there's a, there's a little bit of truth in that. He would love to be here forever and just become a dictator here. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say he was joking. I would say that maybe he he recognizes that's, that that's not really a possibility, but I think in his mind he would like that. You know, sometimes, Kevin, I'm talking to a girl, I can you know, kind of make it – Make it known that I'm kind of interested, but in such a way that if it doesn't go well, you know, it's just a joke. But uh, but if she likes it, then I'm in. I think maybe that's what Trump was doing. So, and uh, you know, I hope anybody in Connecticut, if you're talking to me and you're a girl, you know, forget I said that. You know, I really do like you. Uh, something that's been going on over the past few weeks here has been the harassment of political figures. Uh, it started first with Kirsten Nielsen. Um, over the last couple of weeks, uh, we've seen her really get hit hard um, over her, the policies of the administration. She's been the, the mouthpiece of some of these uh, detained uh, immigrants. And last Tuesday, she was confronted with having dinner in a Mexican restaurant in D.C., uh, and it comes as a reaction to Trump's administration, the Trump administration's zero-tolerance immigration policy, and her flat-out lies about this policy. Um, by the way, this restaurant is just a few blocks away from the White House at 14th and F. To our D.C. listeners, if you want to go, I uh, hear it's fantastic. Um, these protesters repeatedly yelled shame 
at Nielsen. It's a reference to Game of Thrones, and I don't watch Kevin. Um, but I have to tell you, if this was all going down and I was in charge, if I was in Nielsen's position, I probably wouldn't go to a Mexican restaurant. It's it's it just shows she doesn't know anything about uh, what what the what the people are seeing when she go out goes out and does this stuff. It's crazy. Yeah, it shows a severe lack of tact on her part. You know, another example of how out of touch the administration actually is with the issues of real people. You know, it's not that I would condone. I don't condone uh, verbally attacking these people. It, I think it comes down to that. I don't agree with it, but I don't feel bad for them. <laughs> and we'll talk about that even more a little later with Jacoby Sanders. It's I don't want to say they have it coming to them. But they kind of have it coming to them. They certainly do. And I mean, I mean, come on. This let's let's get to the obvious here, right? Christian Nielsen, you're you're from Scandinavia. You're, <laughs> you're you're of immigrant stock yourself, but you're the blonde-haired, blue-eyed kind. So what's this really about? We can read between the lines here. We see what's going on. Well, you know, she is the person during the initial days of the Trump presidency when they tried to have the travel ban, said she wasn't aware that Norway is mostly white people. So you know, who knows what she actually knows. Um, you know, it's been a big week for the – a big couple weeks for the Democrat socialists. Um, the person who was really leading the charge and yelling shame was a protester by the name of Allison Herber. I can say her name. There's, there's, there should be another – I feel like there should be another – Perhaps it's a silent age. Maybe yeah, it's Raybar. There should be another vowel in there somewhere. Uh, but she, the funny thing is she's a paralegal specialist at the Justice Department. Um, you know, I'm all for your right to protest. But when you do it and you work for the federal government, you know, I, you got to be careful because that's an easy way to lose your job. <laughs> yeah. And, you, and true, you have the right to have your own political persuasions, but you've got to be careful about exactly how you show it when you work in such a position. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things, and you see it on both sides, that it's your right to protest, uh, but you also have to deal with the consequences of your protest. So, um, you know, I, more power to her, but I, I think it's more more bravery and or stupidity than I would have to go do those things. Uh, but this wasn't a standalone issue. Uh, we also saw the Virginia restaurant, the Red Hen, ask Sarah Huckabee Sanders to leave while she was there with her family. Uh, owner Stephanie Wilkinson said that she had asked Sanders to leave because the restaurant employs several LB, LGBT employees. And Sanders has defended Trump's call to bar transgender people from the military. Uh, what do you think about this situation? Well, kind of like you had said, I, I don't necessarily condone berating and belittling people because I, I see that as no better than what they're doing. But I can understand. I can understand people's frustration. I understand where it's coming from. And, and I think on the part of the members of the administration, they should see it coming. They can't expect to do whatever they want to do and say whatever they want to say and then be able to, to not have that impact them in their lives outside of work. That's, you know, you are a public figure and you are standing up for somebody who is very unpopular for, you know, at least half of this country. Uh, it's going to happen whether you like it or not, whether you think it's right or not. So they better be prepared to take it. I mean, I just said that that protester you know, had the right to protest, but had to deal with the consequences. It goes both ways. Like, I mean, they're they're out there setting very unpopular policy with more than half of this country and doing things that I think are relatively despicable, although obviously others disagree. Um, you know, that's what happened. I mean, she then later tweeted out, Sarah Sanders did, uh, that, uh, that the owner's actions say more about her than they do me, and that I will always do my best to treat people, including those who disagree with, respectfully and continue to do so. You know, I think... People like Jim Acosta may disagree on that one, but, you know, it's that's how she treats the media. It's fake news media. 
Well, you know, she's upset about getting thrown out of a restaurant because she supports the president and his policies. But, you know, how is that any different than the Trump administration supporting the right of Christian bakers not to make wedding cakes for gay couples based on his religious beliefs? The whole thing, everything is just a giant spiral. You just keep going back and forth and forth. And it really just causes a bigger mess and and something just not needed in this country at this time. Um, Although I have to laugh that former director of the Office of Government Ethics, Walter Schaub, uh, tweeted out that Sanders' tweet was a clear violation of ethics law, which prohibits government employees from using public office for private gain. And he said it's basically the same that if an ATF agent pulled out his badge at a restaurant uh, when they tried to throw – if they tried to throw him out – because uh, this all came from her press secretary account, not her personal account, although Sanders tried to say, well, you know, it was news of the day, and that's why I was talking about it. Uh, but it's not the first time that the, that the Trump administration has done things. Like we've seen Kellyanne Conway do things like this. Uh, ethics don't necessarily mean much to these folks. She should at least be admonished. admonished. I'm not saying she should be fired, but she could get a little rap on the hands at least and not do that again in the future. Well, that would have to come from the commander-in-chief, and I don't see him doing that anytime soon. You know, I I'm all for protests. My biggest concern here is that perhaps it might be going too far in and become counterproductive by shifting some sympathy towards the president and his staff. And, you know, I'm all for sympathy for someone when they deserve it, but I don't think the president and his staff deserve our sympathy yet, so I don't want to see them get it. (laughs) It just helps their cause uh, because they like to play woe is me. I mean – Sanders has really been playing the victim here, and while she was a victim to a certain degree, it's like in the end, you just get up and go somewhere else, it's not the end of the world. You know, last week, the New York Times had an opinion piece titled, We Have a Crisis of Democracy, Not Manners, and to me, that really hits the nail on the head. Um, And this is the, this comes from the White House that said, you know, F your feelings on their shirts during the during the uh, election. I mean, they still scream, lock her up at Hillary Clinton at this point. It doesn't mean anything. So for them to say that, uh, you know, the manners in, in, in this country are just going down, it's just crazy. I mean, they, they started it so they can't cry wolf now. Yeah. And perhaps the people who made out the worst in all of this were the owners of other restaurants known as the Red Hen, (laughs) such as the one here in Old Saybrook, Connecticut, that have been getting all kinds of negative Yelp reviews and other hate mail as a result of this. There are ones in Canada getting yelled at. It just has – it's the same name. It's not the same store. It doesn't take too much – internet sleuthing to find out that they're not connected. I mean, Trump even went on there and went after the actual one that kicked out uh, Sarah Kobe Sanders and said, uh, the redhead restaurant should focus more on cleaning its filthy canopies, doors and windows, badly needs a paint job, rather than refusing to serve a fine person, fine person, yeah, sure, uh, like Sarah Huckabee Sanders. I always had a rule, if a restaurant is dirty on the outside, then it's dirty on the inside of that, of course, is complete fooey. Um, state inspection records show the redhead has got, the red hen has gotten a clean bill of health just earlier this year, but on the other hand, Trump's properties have faced a lot of different violations over the years, including fly and cockroach infestations, food stored in proper temperatures, dirty conditions. I mean, just last April, April's D.C. hotel, which to me and you, Kevin, I think will always be the old post office. To anybody who spent time in D.C., it's the old post office. Uh, just in April, it was cited with nine food health issues. So it's just laughable for Trump to go after places like this and say it's disgusting and it's dirty when he can't even keep his own house in order. Yeah, I know. It was probably cleaner in there when it was the old post office with its food court. I remember eating in there a few times and thinking, hey, this <laughs> it may not be the cleanest place here, but the food's good. That was probably cleaner, probably have better uh, reviews from the health department. You know, it was you a know, simpler time, Kevin. Exactly. You know, Trump can't even resist judging buildings by their appearance, let alone women. Well, we all know what he said about the White House when he first moved in. Basically, yeah, said it was yeah. a dump. Didn't dump. like it. So, yeah. 
Um, but, you know, there's more and more going on with this. Um, at a rally last or two weekends ago, uh, Democratic Congresswoman Maxine Waters told supporters that for these members of his cabinet who remain and try to defend him, they're not going to be able to go to a restaurant. They're not going to be able to uh, stop at a gas station. They're not going to be able to shop at a department store. The people are going to turn on them. They're going to protest. They're going to absolutely harass them until they decide that they're going to tell the president, no, I can't hang with you. This is wrong. This is unconscionable. And we can't keep doing this to children. And, um, you know, in response to that, Republicans claim that that she was promoting violence. Um, and she's always been a little nutty. Uh, Maxine Waters, she's kind of crazy in my, my book. Um, and she was working her supporters up. Uh, but I also think the Republicans are kind of just pushing this a little more. I don't think she was calling for people to go get shoot people or things like that. Yeah. You ever seen a Trump rally? <laughs> you ever seen the president at a Trump rally? I mean, he's said he'd pay legal bills for people to go punch people. So, yes, sadly, I have. I, you know, I'll give you know, Chuck Schumer, uh, I'll give him some credit. He did say, you know, I strongly disagree with those who advocate harassing folks. Uh, if they don't agree with you, no one should call for the harassment of political opponents. That's not right. It's not America. Uh, but also, since it's all gone down, people have threatened Maxine Waters. She had to cancel events because they were threatening to shoot her and stuff. Uh, but, of course, the White House doesn't get upset with that. They only get upset when Maxine Waters says something uh, somewhat controversial. And I think there's a difference between promoting, you know, violence and and harassment of uh, the Trump staff and stating the obvious. Yeah, I I think the number one thing I have learned from this, at least, is that protesting is part of the democratic process. We all knew that. Uh, But it's that people's perception of protesting changes based on the issue and which side you agree with. Uh, It's, you know, not cool to to tell Sarah P. Sanders to leave if you're a Republican. If you're a Democrat, yeah, it's not so bad. Uh, if you're going to go out there and protest outside of the Red Hen, it's cool if you're a Republican. Maybe not so cool if you're a Democrat. So you know, I, I, that's what we always like to say, and we don't, only, don't always do as good a job as we would like. To try to look at the position from the other side, uh, that really helps you better understand the issue as a whole. Um, but you know, we're a country that's divided and becoming even more so. Um, so I think people should follow. You know, you had a shirt on this weekend, Kevin, that had a elephant and a donkey and said, "Let's be friends." And you know, we don't see that that much anymore. But I think really that's what we should be embracing right now. That's absolutely what should happen. What good has come of us retreating to our respective corners the way we have? Sadly, I just keep thinking it's going to go further and further to the fringes until something happens, and hopefully it'll bring us back to the center. Because before all this Trump stuff went down, I always thought that. We were more centrist than we thought, and that it was you know, things like Fox News or MSNBC, you know, the, the things on either side, the, the commentators, they really divided us more so than people actually were, but now I'm not so sure. Next, I want – this is really old news, Kevin, but I think we had to talk about it just because we haven't been on in a week and a half or so, and this is just such an insane story. I think we couldn't let it pass by. Um, you know <laughs> – now we have it's the infamous jacket Melania wore uh, when she was visiting the child detention centers in Texas a few weeks ago. Uh, while she was on her way, she was photographed wearing a jacket that said, "I don't really care, do you?" This led to a lot of criticism, especially because the White House is being accused of treating immigrant children poorly. It was just a bad look. Yeah, again, it's it's tone deaf, it's tactless, it's out of touch with the needs of the people. You know, several publications, including Vanity Fair, have likened the first lady to Marie Antoinette of the <laughs> Let Them Eat Cake fame. Really? I mean, that's that's a very good uh, example. I mean, it blows my mind that she would do that. I mean, first of all, the jacket was from Zara retails at thirty nine dollars. Does Melania strike you as the kind of person that wears a thirty nine dollar jacket? Kind of slumming it, don't you think? Yeah. Tell me about it. Only the best. You know, it wasn't even gold plated for the Trumps. 
Um, plus, it's summer in D.C., and she was headed to Texas. I spent a lot of time in D.C. It's super, super hot in D.C. Uh, in June, Texas. And I'm yeah. going to Texas to, uh, on Wednesday, so, yeah. yeah, it's hot. So what was she doing wearing a jacket at all? It makes no sense. Was she trolling the children? Was she trolling Donald? Who the hell knows? It just it shouldn't have been done at all, because no matter what her intent was, it looked bad, and she should have known better. And, and by the way, I think uh, that her spokeswoman should be fired, too. Her spokeswoman tweeted out that it was hashtag, it's just a jacket, and that Melania's meeting with the children impacted her greatly. But then Donald Trump contradicted her and said that it wasn't just a jacket. Uh, it was a message to the fake news media. They can't even stay on the same page uh, you know, within the same hour or so. Um, but she hires staffers, whether it's her spokeswoman, whether it's her body woman, whether it's her chief of staff. They are there to make sure things like this don't happen. They may have been being too smart for their own good. They should have known better and not let her wear this because it just looked bad for her and bad for the president. And for the most part, you know, Melania has had you know, some issues, but she's pretty much skated by in it being, you know, she's she's the woman that's trapped in the White House and wants to get out. But when she does things like this, it just really hurts her cause and really pulls away any sympathy I have for her at all. Mm, yes, you know, as it was tweeted, it's just a jacket and that the children impacted her greatly as she got back on a plane and headed back to the squalor that is the White House. <laughs> But, you know, Obama once wore a tan suit, so mm. she'll be up in arms about that. That was horrible. Faux pas. <sighs> Trump's had a difficult times with his own caucus recently. Uh, there's been a growing rift between Trump and the House Freedom Caucus, um, which is a group of conservatives and libertarian Republicans in the House. Uh, for some reason, Trump keeps <laughs> keeps attacking publicly uh, Representative Mark Sanford, who recently lost his primary, and it's really just starting to piss off and annoy the caucus. Uh, on Monday night, Congressman Justin Amash pushed fellow Republicans uh, to act more forcefully uh, in their defense of Sanford. Apparently, he was screaming and yelling at one point, and it was a heard by reporters in the outside room. Uh, another caucus member said that he heard Amash yell, I don't want to be part of a group that won't stick up for its own, and he even threatened to quit the caucus. I like it when you say caucus. <laughs> he later confirmed those comments and said, you know, Trump should stop. I don't know why he thinks it's appropriate or a good idea. What I said was that he needs to stand up. We need to stand up for ourselves and not allow anyone to bully us. You know, from everything we hear, Sanford, for his issues, is a very popular member of the caucus. So Trump's attacking him. It rubs people the wrong way. It just makes no sense. Doesn't at all. But of course, Mark Sanford, does he not have his skeletons in his closet? <laughs> oh, he does. And we'll get to that in just a second. Don't don't you worry. Um, but going back to the president and his truthfulness, I mean, he flat out lied. And no one cares. No one cares that he flat out lied when he said, had a great meeting at the House GOP last night at the Capitol. They applauded and laughed loudly when I mentioned my experience with Mark Sanford. I have never been a fan of his. Amash tweeted out a rebuttal saying, House Republicans had front row seats of POTUS's dazzling display of pettiness and insecurity. Nobody applauded or laughed. People were disgusted. And that's a Republican congressman saying that, yet you know, people just let it go. Oh, he, he flat out lied. There are many witnesses that he lied, but you know, you know, why make a big thing of it? It's President Trump. Yes, that's our Trump. That's that's my Trump. <laughs> uh, you know, the time has come for the Freedom Caucus to make a choice. Do they defend Trump even when he lies, even when he bullies, even when he just makes, makes the party look like a fool? Or do they stand up for what's right? 
Sadly, I think we know the answer. We've yeah. seen it time and time again that they may, you know, push back a little bit, but in the end they fall back in lockstep with President Trump and they do whatever he wants because they're afraid of their own re-election bids. And again, we've said this in the past, that's not how members of Congress are supposed to supposed to act. They're supposed to fight for their constituents and do what's right, not for their own self-interest. Yeah, if I had to take a guess, I wouldn't be too hopeful. And, you know, they're, they're hypocrites. The caucus loves going after Paul Ryan for the littlest things. If he had made these comments on Stanford, they'd be pushing for him to step down as speaker, you know, before he even, you know, steps down himself at the end of this year. But when Trump does it, you know, they just say it's wrong and move on. Um, but you know, what, what you had said recently, do you, you want to give us a little background on Mark Sanford? Well, don't mind if I do. <laughs> Mark Sanford, of course, we all should remember back in 2009 when, as governor of South Carolina, he disappeared for a week which worried his wife, and so she called the police. You know, the governor is missing. Uh, you know, told her he was going away to hike the Appalachian Trail, but he didn't return phone calls from his chief of staff, even from his family on Father's Day. And lo and behold, he wasn't actually hiking the Appalachian Trail, unless, of <laughs> course, that trail stretches all the way down to South America, because he was eventually spotted returning on a flight from Argentina, where he had been off with his mistress, and somehow South Carolina elected him again, not only to govern the state, but to represent them in Washington, D.C. You know, I want to say I'm surprised, but I lived outside of Washington, D.C. for a long time where they reelected Marion Barry after he was arrested for smoking crack with a prostitute or something. So, you know, I, I'll never understand some aspects of politics, but, you know, people are going to vote for who they're going to vote for. Bleep uh, set me up. <laughs> yes. It's one of my favorite political quotes of all time. Um, speaking of people voting for who they're going to vote for, um, a few things happened last Tuesday in some primaries. Mitt Romney won the Republican nomination for Senate in Utah. No surprise there. Uh, Jared Polis won Colorado's Democratic primary and could be the first openly gay elected governor in the U.S in U.S. history. Uh, but the biggest story uh, is 28-year-old Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I'm going to mess up that name before this podcast is over. I know it. Um, she defeated Representative Joe Crowley by a double-digit margin in the Democratic primary for New York's 14th district. Um, Crowley was a 10-term congressman and the fourth-ranking Democrat in the House. And he outraised her 10 to 1 by 10 to 1 margin. Uh, but in the end, it didn't matter. Um, she connected better with her with the district. I think she probably represents the district a little better. Um, but the question is, what does this mean for the Democratic Party? Well, I, I think that in this district, in this particular district in New York City, that that is probably more in line with who lives there and who's being represented. I think in the nation as a whole, you know, uh, watching Meet the Press with Chuck Todd yesterday, um, you know, he made a good point uh, and he showed a number of statistics, which unfortunately I, I can't cite off the top of my head for yeah. you, but uh, basically how in that microcosm that is the Bronx and, and Brooklyn that that she has uh, been chosen in the primary, uh, that her you know extreme progressive wing of the Democratic Party is successful. But in the rest of the country, that's not necessarily the case. That's not going to fly. So you know, for her, this looks good, uh, most likely based on the numbers and the number of Democrats and the way the primary turned out, she's most likely going to get elected to Congress uh, come November. But in the rest of the country over, I wouldn't expect too many of those Bernie-crats to uh, really be that successful. Yeah, you said yeah, she was a campaign organizer for Bernie Sanders. She, super liberal, wants things like universal health care, federal job guarantees, and the, the uh, abolition of ICE. 
Uh, I mean, Crowley, by the way, is no uh, slouch himself. He was pretty liberal, but he'd become complacent. He hadn't had any uh, primary challengers in 14 years. He didn't even show up to the debate. Uh, but this, this this is really tough for me, Kevin, because for a long time I've said, you know, it's time to get, for lack of a better term, get these old farts out of Congress, get the next generation in there, some young folks. But in an election like this where the number one thing on my mind is make sure the Democrats take back the House um, – try to back the Senate, just to get more Democrats elected. It scares me when we take people who have been around for a long time and who are safe bets and then get rid of them. Uh, you know, as we mentioned, uh, she's going to win this district. But it just scares me because I don't want to see any infighting between the Democrats. Uh, they should all be unified against the Republicans. Right. Unfortunately, that is the consequence of, of this primary uh, result. You know, it's going to shake some things up in a time when the Democratic Party certainly can't afford to shake too much uh, within their own party. Uh, they've got to be united to to go after the uh, Republican agenda. So we'll see. Like you said, and then I had mentioned that she's most likely going to win this. So the Democrats probably will not lose the seat. However, will this cause a rift within the party, which causes the party to focus on the rift as opposed to what they're really working against the Republican agenda? Well, no matter what side you are on, whether it's right or left, I would say if you haven't watched it already, go watch the video of the moment she found out she won. It, it was really something to see. She didn't expect to win, I don't think. Um, they, everybody said she couldn't win. It wasn't covered by any of the major news publications. But when she found out she won, it was you know, legitimate excitement, surprise, and happiness. And uh, with everything that's been happening in this country over the past few years, I don't think we see that kind of happiness, uh, that genuine happiness, uh, uh, that much anymore. So it was nice to see. Certainly was. Reminded me of my own election night. <laughs> oh, thanks for rubbing that in, by the way. Oh, that uh, wasn't meant to be. <laughs> I'm just joking. Hey, we're only, uh, what, like 16 months away from the next next town council election. Piece of cake. So, um, in serious, look, Kevin, what do you have for Kevin's Corner this week? Well, Jesse, as the Lady Justice statue prominently displayed outside of many courthouses in this country implies, justice is supposed to be blind. The mechanism known as separation of powers gives the judicial branch the authority to overrule an overzealous president or Congress by declaring laws or executive orders unconstitutional. However, with the retirement of Justice Anthony Kennedy, we are once again faced with the prospect of the court becoming a conservative body for generations to come. Neither liberals or conservatives should be made to worry that the Supreme Court justices will legislate from the bench in a way that substantially changes the laws of the land rather than performing their true authority of judicial review and interpretation. The Supreme Court must remain nonpartisan to the extent that it is humanly possible. We must leave the partisan politicking to our elected representatives. The court has no place in the making of law, and as we have seen at times in our history, it serves as the last hope to put to rest inhumane or unethical practices such as legalized segregation and a host of other civil rights issues. Regardless of who occupies the White House, we as citizens of these United States should be able to rest assured that the court will remain impartial, that justice will be blind, and that liberties will be protected for us and for our posterity for generations to come. Nicely said, Kevin, as usual. I want to tell our listeners that you know, we spent a lot of time on this podcast uh, talking about what what's 
not going well in this country, the things I think that we need to change, uh, the things that we don't like. Uh, but with the 4th of July coming up this Wednesday, I hope everybody can sit back for a second, you know, take a moment, and you look at all the things that we love about the country, how lucky we are to be in this country uh, at this time of our lives, at this time of history, uh, and how and how much we have uh, that we other we see other I mean the people coming at the southern border they don't have what we have they want what we have uh, in the best possible way they want the freedom they want the ability to have a better life for their children and I think sometimes we just forget how lucky we are uh, so as we're watching fireworks and drinking beer and grilling I, I hope you know some people take a second and think about all those wonderful things that we get to have every single day yeah and it kind of you know we wouldn't have an issue with immigration right now, if not for the fact that this country is already great and does provide so much for the citizens and the people who live in the United States of America. So we should all keep that in mind as we celebrate this Independence Day, this 4th of July, and we should be proud of the country that we are. We don't have to be proud of the leadership, but we should be proud of what this country truly represents. Well, Kevin, have a great time in Houston. Uh, maybe we can get some man-on-the-street coverage from you if you talk to anybody on, on the immigration issue down there see what they have to say. <laughs> you never know who you may come across. Um, keep an eye out for a crazy jacket. Maybe just be Melania walking around trying to find a detention center, too. I certainly will do that, and I'll, and I'll look to get some feedback from down there. What's going on? Great. All right, everybody, remember to go to our website at grabbingbythepod.com where you can find our social media links, um, past podcasts, and anything you want to know about us. Uh, and other than that, we'll be back sometime next week um, after everybody returns back from vacations and we get, you know, finish up with some of the crazy things we have doing in our own personal lives. Uh, and other than that, Kevin, it has been a great podcast, and I look forward to the next one. You bet. Later.